Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, control addiction, and codependency. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. As a spiritual coach, I can support you on your path to make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions, read the blog, listen to some of my original music, and subscribe to receive email updates. I think of Recover Your Soul as a community. Follow us on social media and join the private Facebook group to support each other and connect. For an extra episode each week and to support this podcast, become a Patreon member or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Welcome back to Recover Your Soul. Thank you so much for choosing to be with me here today. If you're new to the Recover Your Soul community, welcome. And if you're coming back again, thank you so much for trusting your time with me. I really value this time together. I wanted to hit it right on the head, which you know that Recover Your Soul is about being okay when the world around you isn't okay. And a lot of that comes from having somebody in your life who is an addict, or it comes from coming from addiction, and it could also mean being an addict. But anybody can use these tools. What I love, love, love about recovery is that these tools, these spiritual principles, these ideas, these steps can be utilized by anyone. And so there are so many of us that are profoundly affected by addiction. But the truth is that the emptiness that comes in us, that fear that comes in us, can be filled by walking a spiritual path, by using these tools that have been developed by people who have had real, real heartache and real inability to find themselves until they started following this spiritual path. So it can be utilized by anyone. But most of the listenership that listens to Recover Your Soul comes from the world of recovery and the world of addiction on some way. What I wanted to talk about today is right in the middle of control, which is if they would just change, I'd be happy. If they would just change, if my spouse or my kids 
or the people that I work with, if they would just change, then I could be happy. If he would just stop drinking, then I'd be happy. If my parents would just be different, then I'd be happy. This is the foundation of the spiritual journey that we're on. The reminder that we are powerless over everyone and everything around us, which can feel really overwhelming and scary at first. When we first start to really recognize that we're powerless, we realize that we've really taken this part of ourselves and tried to control and manipulate and and maneuver and crunch and push everything out there in sometimes a good way, a nice way. I'm just trying to be nice and helpful, but it isn't about accepting what is. It's about wanting it to change so that we can be okay. And it's actually okay to have grief over the loss of what you wished that you had had. And that includes when you were younger and maybe the way that your parents treated you. To realize that what was offered to you wasn't what you needed. But a foundational part of soul recovery and of spiritual awakening is to look at how we can't make somebody else change. But I want to talk directly about the obsession that we end up having about other people's behaviors. About how if somebody is drinking in our lives or is using And again, it can be use of anything. There are so many things out there that are addictive, food or television or alcohol or drugs or our phones. Oh my gosh, we're so obsessed with our phones right now. Can't put our phones down. Constantly looking for that hit of something that's going to give us a spark of something. Pornography is huge right now. Nicotine. The list just goes on and on and on. And some of it is workaholism. Some of it are things that it doesn't look from the outside like it's separating, but it it really is. And I think when I was honest with myself about the control that I wanted to have over my husband, what I was really missing was a connection with him, was having an intimate relationship with him because his addiction and the behaviors that came from that kept me away from him. And so my desire to change him, to learn how to maneuver and manipulate his behaviors was really because I was feeling lonely. And I was thinking about the first time that we started going to Al-Anon, and it was before we got sober the first time, And most of you know my story. If you've listened, we had a therapist back when I was pregnant with my first son, so 26 years ago, who let us know we were alcoholics and we didn't believe her because we didn't see it as a problem in our lives. Even though at that point, when I look back, I can see clearly that we were alcoholics and it was already a problem. And that what that did for me was it gave me a spark of something that I could name for him and not necessarily something I could name for myself. And that when I started hearing about Al-Anon, 
what I held on to, and I've heard from so many people, is you go to Al-Anon for the first time, not because you think you need to be recovered, but you want to learn how to change the circumstances around you. You want to learn how to make somebody else be different. And there's actually a lot of meetings that you can find where that's the emphasis. And that's how that goes in some of those meetings. But what I have found to be the real change in my life is to turn the attention to myself, as I share with you. But when I went into Al-Anon for the first time, I was doing that thing where I was so glad that Rich had come with me because I wanted him to hear what was being said for him to change, not necessarily for me to change. I wanted to improve and change him. And that we went initially, I think we went initially because our son was starting to have issues and we wanted to have some relief from that. So there was probably twofold. I was really hoping that Rich would get something from it. And I was probably really hoping that I could figure out how to change and control my son. And what I quickly learned and heard in the rooms as people would laugh when people said that they had come to try to change somebody else. And you're looking around thinking, why are they laughing? Aren't we here to figure out how to manage that person in our life? Isn't that what this is about? I can see now that it really is funny that we think we can control anybody. And I remember days when I would really get obsessed. And even though I was drinking, I was more concerned about how much Rich was drinking and counting his drinks and wondering what was going on with him or being concerned because I knew that he would be cheerful to some level and then it would then it would turn and he'd be easily agitated. And so trying to kind of manage what that looked like and how painful that is and how hard it is to be trying to obsess over and control someone else's behavior. And that's really where we start to get off in ourselves, right? That's where we start becoming unreasonable. That's when we start manipulating and getting nitpicky and having all that attention be on somebody else's behavior. And the truth is, we're not paying attention to what our inner feelings are. We're just shoving that down and putting that behind the wall of angry. And as we know, anger is really an above emotion over what's really going on, which is often sadness and fear. Fear of a loss of connection, fear of a loss of safety, of reliability, of a life that you thought that you wanted, a family that you thought that you wanted. And when we have that desire to change, if somebody would just be a different way, and this can be anybody. So again, I'm thinking spouses because for so many of us, that's what's directly in our lives. But for our kids, for our coworkers, it doesn't have to be an addiction. It just really is the desire for somebody else to be different than what they are for us. That if they would just say something a little bit different, they could say the exact same thing, but if they had a, a, a kinder way of saying it, that that would be better for us, that we could be happy then. 
If they would just do these chores or help out here, then I would be okay. If they just would spend less time with their friends and more time with me, I would be okay. I'd be happy. And what I've said before, and I feel so strongly about is that every time we put that attention onto somebody else of if they would, then I would be happy. You're giving your power away to somebody else to determine whether you're going to be happy or not. And it's dangerous to give your power away because we don't have control of anything, but we have control of ourselves. So why would you give control of how you feel to somebody else? And as an alcoholic, one of the things that I think is a benefit of having been an alcoholic and being a an Al-Anon lover of the work from Al-Anon is I get what it means to be addicted. I have a very, very intense connection with what it means to be addicted. And so when you love somebody who's an addict and you just wish that they could be different, that they didn't drink at a certain time of the day or that it wasn't that important to them or that they would choose you, that they would choose loving you over this other thing in their life that has control of them. It's hard to describe how that isn't what's going on in the mind of an addict. That I loved my husband and I loved my children and I still could not stop drinking. I still drove to the liquor store while I was telling myself I wasn't going to liquor store. I still bought alcohol while I was telling myself not to buy it. I still went home and poured it while I was telling myself I wasn't going to drink that day. And that when you don't have an addiction, when you don't have an obsession, it's hard to see. But if you flip that and think to yourself, can I not worry about their behavior for today? Can I really just say, I'm just not going to do that this morning and it can go out of your mind and not happen? That's the same as the person in your life who has a behavior that is hurting you and you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop obsessing about it. You can't stop wanting to control it. It's the same. And so when I started doing the work of letting go of my desire to make everybody else be different, if they would change, I can be happy and started putting the emphasis on myself. I'm going to be happy first. I'm going to put my energy and my time into my own spiritual development and where I have control, which is with me and my connection with higher power. I am going to put that as my number one priority. And I'm actually going to practice not thinking about what's happening with my husband and my kids or the other people in my life that I wish would just change a little bit. And again, it's the same practice as being an alcoholic or somebody who's stopping anything, just like we're working on stopping control, which is, can I recognize that I'm doing it first? And then can I ask myself if I cannot do that for just a short period of time? You don't have to think forever. Today, this morning, can I not obsess about somebody else's change and bring the attention to myself? And when you have somebody in your life who's actively using and has behaviors that are hurtful to you, this is really hard. 
This is really hard because we desperately wish that they would just stop. We desperately wish that they would change because we can see the potential of who they are, because we know that when they're clean or when they're not having a behavior, that they're present for us, that they're present for their kids, that they're present in their life, that they're not checked out, that you you know who they are. And this other person that they are as their addict is painful and difficult. And we're always hoping that they'll see who they are. And yet we have to bring it back around to see that in ourselves and to notice and be aware of how when we are in our unhealthy space, we are equally as damaging to the other people in our life as they are to us. That this disease of addiction profoundly affects everybody around us. And that is the person who's using, the person who loves them, everybody. And so we have to heal as ourselves first. And then that is going to bring it forward to be able to heal the people around us. And that doesn't mean that we're asking them to change. That's the part that's complicated in it, that they may never stop drinking. They may never stop using. They may not stop that behavior, but it isn't because they don't love you. It isn't because you aren't enough. It isn't because they don't want to. It's because it's their own journey. They have to hit their own bottom. They have to hit their own place where they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. But we have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired of our own feelings and behaviors and obsessions over wanting them to change. So when we can let go, it means doing things different. That if they're having the behavior that is hurtful to you, that you actually let go of that being your focus. And one of the great tools that I love is if that wasn't happening and you weren't worrying about that, what would you do? What would you do anyway? Instead of saying he's drinking tonight, so I can't do what? Well, yes, you can do that. What would what would you be doing right now if you weren't obsessing and being hurt by somebody else's behavior? Maybe it's going out with friends. Maybe it's taking a bath. Maybe it's laying in bed and reading a book or watching your favorite TV show or listening to music or writing music or creating art, what, what would you do? And if you don't know what it is that you would do, because all of your attention goes towards obsessing over the behavior of someone else, that's a really good thing to look at. Most of us, I know I did, had no clue who I was. Because I had spent so much time and energy around my family and my kids and my husband and all of our dysfunction and all of our upset and all of our problems, I didn't know who I was. And when I came into this art studio that I am so lucky to have my little she shed in the backyard, I didn't spend the time doing art. I spent the time being sad about my life. Instead of it being a place where I could come and rejuvenate like it is for me now, it was a place where I could hide. And back then, it also had a bottle of vodka in it. And I hear some people talk about why can't they do something different? 
and I couldn't do anything different until I was ready either. Both as an alcoholic and as a codependent, I had to be ready to do it for myself, for me. And this life didn't feel precious before. It felt like a burden. But it feels really precious now. And I would want to do it justice. And again, as I've improved my own attention to myself, as I've changed how I respond and how I react and and how I see, and that I can not have obsessive thoughts about what's going on with my husband or my kids, I have changed everything about me. And that makes me easier to be around. And that makes me more desirable to be around. And that has changed the relationships of how people, especially my husband and children, relate to me so that they can share what's really going on with them, which generally our addiction is trying to cover up our sadness and our unworthiness and fear and emptiness. So as I've become more open to hear what's really going on with them, I'm watching them have more of a desire to heal themselves. And it used to be that if they changed, I'd be happy. But what I did was I decided I was going to be happy and I was going to change. And that, in effect, has changed everything around me. And as I shared in a podcast recently, and Rich shared in one of the subscriber episodes that he drank last year. And it's interesting to me because I went through, after we recorded that episode, my my pain body came back up. That part of me that really wished that we were really in this together, that he was going to have his four-year sober anniversary the same as mine. And it's okay to have those things come up and flash up and have the realization of the grief that comes from from wishing something was different. But I was able to let it go. And I was also able to recognize that it's important for me to practice all of this in the knowledge that this is his experience. So when he goes off and plays music with his bands, I actually am not thinking about whether he is choosing to drink or not drink. And that's totally new for me because the truth is he's going to have the consequences that come from that in his own heart. But what I can talk to him about is the need for me in our relationship to have honesty with each other, to have intimacy with each other, my desire for us to be best friends, my desire for us to be able to really communicate and connect. And that my worry is that if he goes back in that direction, that that'll be lost. And that won't won't work for me. Which doesn't mean that it's an ultimatum. What it means is I'm going to put myself and my happiness first. And that he may make choices down the road that will affect what we have now. But I'm not going to spend time worrying about that. Because right now, right this minute, is really all that we have. So these are big, big topics. If they would change, I'd be happy. And reverse that and say, I'm going to work on being happy. And maybe through that, there will be change outside of my life. But I'm going to be happy and I'm going to change me 
and how I interact and how I see and how I feel in the world. That's soul recovery. That's the big work. So as you go about your day and you're in a situation where you find yourself wanting to assess and control and count what's happening, did they drink today? Did they have this behavior today? What can I do about it? Just observe that in yourself. Just see it as if you're watching a movie. Take a deep breath. Calm yourself down. Come back to your higher power. Come back to I'm powerless. Higher power is there for you. And that you can bring the attention back to yourself and say, for today, for the next hour, for the next however much time, I'm going to not worry about that. I'm going to do something for myself. I'm going to think clearly about who I am and keep the attention on myself. And that sometimes means that different choices happen in your life. But you have control over you. You can be happy with you. They may never change, but we will change and we will be happy. If you have any questions about this or you want to work through it, I am available to help you with coaching. Book a session with me. Let's talk about it. Let's really help each other. I want to be here to support you on your soul recovery. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Until next time, namaste. Thank you for listening. And I hope this episode offered you tools, guidance, and inspiration on your journey to recover your soul. If you'd like some support and encouragement with your soul recovery, book a coaching session with me. When you're ready for change, it's amazing what can be done in just a few sessions. There's never any long-term commitment. This is your personal journey, and I'm just here to be a guide and assist you in connecting with your fullest and happiest self. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net where you can find more about me, Rev. Rachel, book your spiritual coaching sessions, subscribe to receive email updates, and even listen to some of my original music. We thank you for supporting the production of this podcast by donating on the homepage or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or becoming a Patreon member. When you become a member or a subscriber, you're going to receive an extra bonus episode each week, and your support is really appreciated. By following, subscribing, and reviewing this podcast on your favorite platform, you're helping to spread the Recover Your Soul message. We hope that you will follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and even join the private Facebook group to become part of our transformational community. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.